Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 86. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors. First we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Precision Hydration make electrolyte products that uh, you can use to match how you sweat and the individual sweat sodium concentration level that uh, you lose. And this becomes more and more important the longer and more intense the exercise becomes because you will be sweating more and losing more electrolytes in total and sodium in particular being the most important one. And uh, at some point, if you don't adequately replace it, this may result in uh, performance uh, impairments and even things like cramping. So uh, it's well worth being aware of this and uh, being aware of your individual sweat sodium concentration. Precision Hydration has created an online sweat test that you can use to get a good ballpark estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat. And it's absolutely free, takes just a few minutes to complete, and it can be found under the tab free hydration plan on precisionhydration.com. You can get 15% off your order with the promo code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW15 if you decide to order any of Precision Hydration's products. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. And uh, big and uh, really important and high-tech news from Roka's side is that now, if you are in the US and you're ordering prescription glasses or sunglasses, you can take a valid vision test right then and there on the Roka website using your computer and a smartphone app that you can download and uh, therefore get uh, an accurate and up-to-date prescription before you order your glasses. So that's a really cool step forward. And uh, the things that we can do with technology these days is uh, kind of amazing, really, when you think about it. I was pretty excited when I heard about this. I never thought that that might be something that you could do, but but now it is reality. Either way, you can get 20% off your entire Roka order when you go to roka.com forward slash TTS, where you will get a 20% discount code. Now on today's questions, the first one is from Carlos in Honduras who writes, Hi coach, I'm from Honduras and I've been in triathlon for one and a half years now. I played baseball and football all my life. My first and only race was Ironman 70.3 Cozumel and I am a self-coached athlete. I wanted to hear your take on what to do after each workout. I've heard that stretching is not recommended, but I have been stretching for more than 20 years. Most athletes recommend foam rolling or a massage, but I can't have a massage every day. I believe in stretching and I'm afraid to stop doing it. If I decide to stop, it has to be replaced with something else, I believe. My last question is, should I warm up and do some joint mobilization before I work out? And is that enough? Thank you and keep up the good work. So thank you, Carlos, for your question. The first thing I want to address in your question is that uh, you're asking about what to do after each or after every training session. And I don't believe there's anything that you need to do after every training ses- session. There are certain things that are beneficial to do as athletes. There is uh, swimming, biking and running, of course. And there are certain doses you need to get of each of those to, to make it beneficial and to improve. 
Likewise, with things like stretching, it might be beneficial in certain circumstances that we'll get to next. And there are certain doses for that as well, but there's nothing that you absolutely have to do after every single session. Uh, so it's all about knowing what the purpose is and then knowing what the appropriate dosage with that purpose in mind of whatever it is you're doing would be. So uh, that doing that sort of all or, all or nothing, like you have to do something after every session, that's uh, a bit of a false dichotomy that uh, that you don't really need to need to have you can you can stretch sometimes and it's fine if that's what your purpose is or you have a purpose for that but that doesn't mean that you have to do it after every session so just to get that out of the way first so then the rest to answer the rest of the questions i will really rely heavily on a fantastic book that i recommend to everybody it's called running rewired it's by jay dishari of the united states who is uh, one of the most renowned physiotherapists in the United States. And that is a brilliant resource for any athlete listening to this podcast, I think could benefit from having that book and reading that book. So I'll quickly talk you through an example directly from that book on how there isn't such thing as a one-size-fits-all that you should be stretching or you should be doing a certain type of stretching or foam rolling or massage, and that is the one and only correct answer. There are different situations when those different things might be beneficial. And the way that Jay describes this in Running Rewired is uh, talking about a hypothetical workout, a running workout with uh, a warm-up. And actually before the workout, he has four runners uh, sit down into a squat position or just squat down. And each of them has issues with being able to squat down and uh, get their knees forward and uh, potentially with uh, their back rounding and all sorts of issues that Jay goes into the book, into in the book. And I don't need to go through the details here, but each of them has similar issues actually with the squat itself. But then the crux is in how to address those issues. So what Jay then describes is having all of the, the runners do a 30 second static calf stretch because as i said one of the issues they have is not being able to get their knees properly forward which might be caused by uh, by the calf being uh, a bit stiff and not not being able to lengthen properly and for the first runner this really does help they are now after doing a 30 second static calf stretch able to uh, able to go down into a proper squat with perfect form and uh, Jay describes this as this runner improved their software and more specifically their proprioceptive awareness. So what happened is that it wasn't the static calf stretch by itself, that it wasn't the fact that it was static that made the difference. But what happened is that this stimulated the circuitry in the muscles, if you will, the Golgi tendon organ and the muscle spindles and woke them up and this allowed them to allow the joint to move freely once you got that muscle CNS central nervous system connection working properly and uh, the signals from the Golgi tendon organs and the muscle spindle, spindle started working uh, whatever happened there in details who knows I don't for sure but uh, this issue with the runner was a proprioceptive awareness issue and just doing work with that joint which the calf stretch was an example of that's something that just woke the system up and now things are working working well. The, the second runner has a particular hardware problem, which uh, is that the 
joint is blocked and we're talking here about the ankle joints because they're not able to get their knees forward for various reasons and this in this case the restriction is on the side of the joint that is shortening so on the lower the front side the foot side of the ankle joint and uh, when the runner squats down the muscles on on this side of the ankle they are shortening and the calf muscle muscles are the ones that are lengthening so when feeling stiffness on the foot side of the ankle this would be an example of the joint being simply blocked and stretching here does not help because the block is on the side of the joint where muscles are shortening and stretching is uh, about trying to lengthen the muscles so that's obviously not going to be productive at all that's not the limitation here the limitation here is some sort of blockage and uh, the best solution is simply to call your physical therapist and get in for an appointment in the book there are some diy manual therapy that you can do so uh, that's uh, also something that is possible in the acute but definitely uh, if you have a joint block so a restriction on the shortening side of the joint then that's a good time to call your physical therapist and schedule an appointment the third runner also has a hardware problem but this is with the restriction of the joint being on the the other side on the lengthening side of the joint and again we're talking about the ankle joint here they can't get their knees forward in the squat position so the calves are the ones that are restricting the joint movement and this is the example where doing some stretching including static stretching is going to be beneficial Static stretching can help reduce or eliminate even the acute restriction of the joint. But if you have chronically tight or shortened muscles that uh, you want to lengthen, then what Jay says in the book is that research shows that it takes holding a stretch for three minutes, four to five days a week for about 10 weeks to physically lengthen the muscle tissue. So if you really have short muscles, and this is limiting your joint movement in some way that is uh, not going to be that that you want to uh, that you want to correct then that is what you need to do you need to do static stretches that are long not just 20 seconds or 30 seconds or one minute they need to be three minutes long you need to be doing that four to five days per week and you need to do that for 10 weeks so in that case yes it makes sense to stretch after pretty much every every workout you do or at least once per day but uh, this is a particular case this is only one of the situations this is when you have some sort of mobility issue that is caused uh, by the side on the side of the joint where the muscles are lengthening so again the ankle joint is just one example you could take the knee joint and the hip joint and whatever joint you want the shoulder joint and uh, come to the analogous conclusions of when you might need to do stretching now going on to the fourth runner and the final runner they also have a hardware problem but this is uh, a restriction in their fascia or their connective tissue around their muscle tissue and uh, this sort of restriction can occur from higher than normal training loads which uh, may lead to scar tissue development and as the fascia is repairing itself the normal quote-unquote slide and glide functionality of the muscles and the surrounding connective tissue is not working properly stretching will not help if this is your problem because what needs to happen for the uh, normal joint mobility to, uh, to to return is that the fascia needs to rearrange itself back into a linear 
tissue arrangement. It does not need to elongate. That's not what the problem is here. What does help to uh, remove this restriction or to try to start to revert it is foam rolling on a foam roller or using a lacrosse ball, a tennis ball or massage. So uh, that is the third hardware problem. And uh, I'm going to summarize these, all the four runners and the four problems we had. So starting with static stretching, that is what would be beneficial if you have shortened muscle tissue, which causes restriction of a joint on the side of the joint where the muscles are lengthening. In other words, you lack flexibility on the backside of a joint. If this is not your problem, then static stretching won't really be beneficial at all for you and I would not recommend doing it, not because it's necessarily dangerous, but you need to do it after the workout, mind you, not before uh, and not when your muscles are cold, but there's just no point unless you fall in that specific category of a joint uh, limitation. Dynamic stretching, on the other hand, is uh, a great way to wake up your proprioceptive awareness uh, and uh, so this is something to do before a workout. This means that the Golgi tendon organs and the muscle spindles are getting activated and get ready so that uh, once you are in the workout and in the main set of a workout, you can really perform to your maximum potential because you have that proprioceptive awareness and you don't have any software limitations around your joints. So this is something that I think that it's beneficial to do even if you feel good, but especially if your joint feels generally a bit tight, this can be a good thing to do. If you have restrictions on the side of a joint that is shortening, so on the front side of a joint, then physical therapy is recommended. And finally, if you feel restrictions around your joint that uh, feel like they might be from soft tissue damage, perhaps resulting from an increase in acute training load, in that situation, some sort of bodywork with, for example, a foam roller or lacrosse ball or going and see a massage therapist, that would be the way to go. So what this means for you and your question is, I think that dynamic stretching before running and swimming is always beneficial, as I said, in particular if you're going to do intensity. Static stretching, I only recommend doing if you know that you have a muscle that would benefit from lengthening. And in that case, remember, three minutes per day, five days per week, 10 weeks. And that's three consecutive minutes, holding a stretch for three minutes. I do recommend getting on the foam roller and or a lacrosse ball a couple of times per week, generally speaking. It could be more, and more could definitely be useful. You only need to spend a few minutes just to try to keep the fascia from getting stuck. And this is especially important for athletes that train at higher volumes but also for athletes that might be just uh, not used to the current training load that they're trying to so you're trying to increase your training load perhaps also if you can see a massage therapist once or twice per month that is absolutely fantastic i generally do this myself or at least i did before covid19 so and i'll probably resume that habit as soon as we are in more normal circumstances again but for now that's on pause uh, the other thing that I recommend is that you do not and should not do something just for the sake of doing something. Everything you do should have a purpose. Otherwise, it's, I mean, you can, if you just feel like it gives you peace of mind to do stretching, that is a purpose. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't stretch, but uh, you don't need to feel that you have to do stretching for 
any given reason that is not necessarily an appropriate reason or something that you can back up with with any like any evidence or any data so if you stop stretching that doesn't mean that you need to replace it with something necessarily if it didn't feel a purpose if it did feel a purpose then yes you might need to replace it with something but then again static stretching has one purpose and that is to work on lengthening the muscle tissue and there really isn't anything else that can replace that so if you do something else then it serves a different purpose so you should figure out what your individual needs are and the best way to do that i think is to go and see a physical therapist a couple of times per year just for a routine checkup and it should be routine but thorough And what I do think makes sense is to uh, take standing and walking breaks frequently throughout your day and not get stuck in a sitting position for hours and hours. I personally use a standing desk or a desk that I can uh, raise to a standing position. And I do try to use that, although some days it goes completely unused because I train at a fairly high training load and I do appreciate the rest that sitting gives me. But uh, generally for most people, I think that sitting up standing up every now and then especially if you have a standing desk it's brilliant but otherwise just taking a walk break every hour just spend a couple of minutes to take go and refill your water bottle things like that that would be a good thing to do to not get stuck in the sitting position for more than at most an hour at a time but the most important thing that you can do is to get your training load right in terms of injury prevention for example no matter what stretching or prehab routines or massage therapy you do all those efforts will pale in comparison to the impact that uh, the correct or incorrect training load will have on your risk of injury so that is by far the number one priority and all of these things are more smaller details that yes they can be important but they pale in comparison to the training load and the appropriate training load And finally, just uh, another recommendation and reminder for getting the book Running Rewired by Jay Dishari. For more information, I tried to get Jay on the show several times. Unfortunately, he's very, very busy, so I haven't succeeded so far. But uh, that doesn't stop me from really recommending the book, which is a fantastic resource. And for a great summary of the concepts that I've talked about in uh, this episode or in this question, check out page 22 of that book on table 3.1. Question number two for today is from Matthew in Indiana in the United States. who writes, you have talked about using the Macmillan running calculator to figure out your velocity at VO2 max. When doing longer intervals at 90 to 95% of VO2 max, is the relationship between speed and percent of VO2 max linear? My current VVO2, so velocity at VO2 max, is 705 per mile, and that means 424 per kilometer. Does that mean that if I want to run at 95% of VO2 max, my pace would be 726 per mile or 437 per kilometer? So uh, thanks, Matthew, for your question. This turned out to be a bit more contentious than I initially thought, actually. My gut reaction was that, no, the relationship between speed and oxygen uptake, or VO2, is not linear, because running economy may change with intensity. And if running economy changes, then the oxygen cost of increased speed will also change. But as it turns out, when I started to look into this, a number of studies have either found 
or as at least assumed a linear relationship between oxygen uptake and intensity. Many studies have found that. And this has been the default assumption because in the early days, especially of uh, of measuring VO2 or oxygen uptake, that's sort of what was found. Now, more recently, there have been a few studies that start to contradict these findings and find various non-linear relationships. Uh, for example, at high intensities, the slope might steepen. So a given increase in intensity, in speed in this case, would result in a relatively higher increase in oxygen uptake and oxygen cost. Now, I don't really know what the scientific consensus to this question is, if there is one. But the amount of material to go through to find out and to really be able to answer that question is very, very big. So... To be honest, I didn't do that in this case. I got a lay of the land and saw that there are uh, arguments for both sides. And I don't know if there is any clear consensus. But the practical answer to your question is that it doesn't really matter if it's linear or not. Because there's nothing magic about 95% or 90% or 100%. And keep in mind that your VVO2 max, as estimated by the Macmillan calculator, or even as measured in the lab, is just a snapshot in time and an estimate anyway. So the reality is that doing really effective workouts targeting VO2 max is pretty simple. Just do intervals that are between one to five or even up to eight minutes long, depending on if you want to go just slightly super threshold. But generally, let's talk about one to five minutes. Do those durations of intervals with a work-to-rest ratio of one to one, up to two to one aim for a total duration of 12 to 25 minutes of work for example five by four minutes and maybe five by four minutes on three minutes off there would be 20 minutes of work there would be a pretty hard workout and run these intervals close to your best effort but leave a little bit left in the tank you don't need to absolutely smash yourself or i guess absolutely smash yourself is a relative term just let's put it this way you should be able to run one more interval or you should be able to run the last one a bit faster than you than you did perhaps or at least the four the first ones the first half of the intervals you should have a little bit more pace than you actually are using so the session rpe for a vo2 max workout should be an eight or a nine on a scale from one to ten depending on just how strong a stimulus you want to make it you do not need to make it an absolute 10 out of 10 but it should be hard. It should feel very hard. You need to definitely be working. To get an idea of uh, the paces, if you want to be more specific, you can absolutely, and I recommend using the training paces that the Macmillan calculator suggests as a starting point. So for just for those listeners that might not be aware, the Macmillan running calculator can be found on macmillanrunning.com. It's free to use. And the way it works is that you simply plug in a recent race result and it needs to be a, like your a true reflection of your current fitness if you ran the race with a friend to support them and it wasn't a max effort then uh, the paces won't make any sense for you obviously it needs to be a maximum effort but let's say you run a 10k in 50 minutes you plug in 50 minutes and you will get an estimate for your lactate threshold speed for your vvo2 max and you will get estimates for what your equivalent 5k time would be and your half marathon and your marathon and a lot of other racing distances. But perhaps most importantly, 
you will get uh, some suggested training paces, which generally I would say are really, really good. So a number of different types of workouts are listed there, everything from recovery to endurance to tempo to threshold to VO2 max, and even better, the VO2 max intervals, which go under ter- the terminology of speed, it doesn't say VO2 max on the training pages page, but it says speed, they are broken down into different distances. So you have separate uh, speed targets for 400s versus 600s versus 800s, 1000s, 1200s, 1400s, and milers. So that is really what I would recommend that you do if you want to have a starting point for your paces other than what I just said, do a close to best effort for whatever the uh, the uh, the actual workout prescription is. So uh, for example, I plugged in your paces there in the calculator or I plugged in a race result that that resulted in the vvo2 max that you said that you had and uh, when i do that so that just to uh, remind the listeners that was 726 per mile or 437 per kilometer Uh, if we're talking about in mile pace here 726 when i look at the suggested paces for your 400 meter intervals you the, the macmillan calculator suggests that your pace should be between 654 to 717 so actually the high end there or the fast end is faster than your vvo2 max because these intervals are pretty short so and even the sorry even the low end is faster than vvo2 max so you're at 100 something percent of vo2 max up, up to maybe 110 percent and where in this range between 654 to 717 you should run that will depend on your how you feel on the day how many intervals you're doing and how long and short the recoveries are there's no point giving a single number because the body doesn't work that way training doesn't work that way so 654 to 717 is an appropriate range and then you need to solve the equation of that workout as uh, dr steven seiler puts it and uh, and i do like that analogy you have a training prescription and you are the one that solved the equation for that training prescription To uh, take the example from the other end of the spectrum, if you are to go and run mile repeats, which at your speed, I wouldn't recommend for VO2 max workouts. I would probably say that 1000s are the absolute uh, longest that I would give you for VO2 max intervals. But I mean, well, you could be doing milers. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily, especially in the later part of a 10k program. That might be something that you would actually be doing. So I take that back. There is... Uh, a time and place for those for sure either way at the suggested pace for running milers for you would be 741 to 753 uh, for your vvo2 max at 726 so you'll be at least 15 seconds per mile slower than your vvo2 max and this is obviously because for intervals of that length almost eight minutes long you should be closer to 90 percent of vo2 max to be able to even complete the workout but uh, the idea there with doing long intros like that is that you hopefully will still elicit something close to VO2 max uh, because you are running for such a long time and you're still running at above your threshold pace. So that is my answer to your question. And uh, I hope that this helps, even if I can't definitively answer your original question about whether the relationship is linear or not. My gut feeling, and based on the research that I saw, that there is some research suggesting that it's nonlinear, is still that it is nonlinear, but who knows at the end of the day, as I said, in practical terms, it doesn't matter at all. 
That's it for today. Thank you for your questions, Carlos and Matthew, and keep sending in questions to all of you listeners. My email address is michael at scientifictriathlon.com, and that's Michael with a K. And uh, as I've uh, mentioned on a couple of recent Q&As, I really appreciate getting practical application questions, getting questions from beginners and so on. Those are among the most important questions that we can answer because there are so many uh, so many beginners that are listening to this podcast. I know this from surveys that I've done in the past and from reviews of the podcast coming in. So I really do want to make an effort to make those a bit more prominent on the Q&A episodes than they have been. And uh, the first step of doing that is to actually get those questions in, in the first place. I'll link to the resources mentioned, including the Macmillan running calculator and the running rewired book in the episode description. Thank you to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free sweat test and get 15% off your order of electrolyte products with the promo code DETTRIATHLONSHOW15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses. Remember that you are, if you are US-based, can now do online computer-based vision tests to get an updated prescription. And everybody can get 20% off their Roka order with the discount code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.